The Cambridge Dictionary defines the verb grace as being in a place and making it look more attractive. Well, that's the thing about parenthood. Sometimes it's the last thing you think when you hear that word. But to us, for something to be beautiful, I mean truly beautiful, it has to be imperfectly perfect. There is no right way to be a parent. There is only doing it to the best of your ability. And that is what we define as growing with grace. Welcome to our podcast. Hey guys, episode 13. Today we're going to talk about mental health. Hey guys, it's Tyla. I just wanted to remind you to check out our social media, Instagram at Growing With Grace Podcast and our website, growingwithgracepodcast.com. If you'd like to ask us any questions or have any ideas for an episode, you can shoot us an email at growingwithgracepodcast at gmail.com or you can send us a message right from our website. We'd love to hear from you. Let's get into it. So episode 13, we're going to be talking about mental health and how we take care of our own mental health as well as our families and even some extended family. So why don't we start with the stigma of mental health? How do you feel, Tyla, in today's as you know, wife, as a mom, as a cousin, as a family member? What do you, what do you feel about the stigma of mental health? I definitely think it's something that we've been having, we as a society have been having more conversations about over the last five or so years. I think that prior to that, it was something that was always kind of hushed or you shouldn't really talk about it. It was personal and private, but I do feel like we are moving in the direction to where people feel more comfortable acknowledging the fact that they may struggle or may have issues with mental health. What, what do you well, think? Well, it's kind of a tough thing. And, and I agree with you that more recently in you know, the, the past few years, it's been more of a topic that is not so taboo to talk about or admit that you need help. And it, but however, with that being said, it's still, at least to myself, it almost feels like a dirty word. Like it feels like something that it's not, it doesn't come easy to talk about. And it feels almost as though you are not, um, I don't even know how to put it. You're, you're just not, you can't, if you have an issue with your mental health, then you, you yourself are broken and it, it speaks to, you know, your mental stability. And that almost feels like something you don't necessarily want to admit, even for myself, even knowing that, you know, I do struggle with mental health. Sometimes it's something that is a really hard thing to even say out loud and, or ha- even have a conversation with loved ones. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I think that that the way that you feel that way could have to do with a lot of things. It could have to do with how you were raised, how you were told to maybe internalize your mm-hmm. own feelings. Um, or maybe it wasn't even something that you had a conversation about growing up, but it was just what you saw around you. And then you in turn decided then, okay, this is how I should be. I have to be, I have to put on this brave face. I have to be tough. I, I can't show those around me that I'm weak because if I show that I'm weak, then that's Mm -hmm. not good. I definitely agree with that. And, And I think it's a difficult thing and it'll be interesting to see how those conversations continue with the next generation, with our children and how they feel about it. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely something that felt, again, like a dirty word, or it felt like you were saying, you know, something that you shouldn't be admitting out loud if you feel like you need help, or if the weight of things were just too much to carry. And I definitely am guilty of 
you know, buckling down and ignoring the signs that my mind and my body are telling me, you need to take a break. You need to take some time to restore your health, just like anything else. Like you catch a cold, you go down Mm -hmm. for a day or two and you don't walk around, you know, you're not doing your normal day-to-day activities. You take it easy. I feel like mental health should be considered like that, like as a physical ailment, because it is, it's something that is really affecting, you know, your day-to-day and your mental processes and your ability to function really. Yeah. Another thing that I think is interesting, and this is coming from speaking from my own personal Mm -hmm. experience with mental health and family, um, Kiana and I both have, I guess, a history of family members who do struggle with mental health, um, issues, disorders, diagnosed and undiagnosed. Absolutely. Right. For sure. Diagnosed and undiagnosed. And some of our family members choose to self-medicate. Some of them are medicated for these, um, diagnoses that they may have. And I know that for me personally, I've always been afraid and and I, and, and this is just me speaking from my gut. Um, and maybe afraid isn't the best word and maybe, you know, I shouldn't be afraid of it, but I've always been like, oh man, like, you know, this person in my family has mental health issues. Like what's going to happen to me? What if I, and I hate to use this word, but I'm just going to use it. And I apologize, but like, what if I become crazy? Mm -hmm. Right. And I know I'm not saying that everybody who has a mental health, um, diagnosis is crazy, but to me growing up and seeing those around me and my family who had these issues and and, and growing up in a, you know, a family where it wasn't really talked about and mental health issues were kind of like, we were told that this is a bad thing. They are crazy. Mm-hmm. They're not good. Like that's not a good thing that should be suppressed. And so basically kind of like ignoring the problem or putting a bandaid on mm-hmm. the problem and not being like, okay, well, why is that person the way that they are? Or I've also been told by family members too, like, you know, basically like you're doomed, like this is going to happen to you just because you are your history. Yeah. Your family, your family history. Yeah, you're exactly. And that was, that's always been like a kind of like a, um, a tough thing for me to swallow, but I, but I think that in the last few years, I've really kind of shut that down and been like, you know what? I don't a hundred percent agree with that. I think that every single person, I think genetics a hundred percent play into your mental health, but I also think that it's something like exercise, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you work really hard at it, you can overcome some of these things. And there may be stuff, there may be things that you absolutely hundred percent struggle with and you need help with, but there may be things that you can also do to help right. yourself, which may strengthen your mind or your, yeah. And, and we'll talk about ways that we cope, um, a little bit. Yeah. Later. And it's definitely a terrifying thing. I mean, in the back of my mind, when I'm having these like mental overloads or, and I don't know if I'd call them a breakdown, but it's just, you know, when, when things get so tough and I've referenced them before, anxiety, just, it gets to a point where it feels as though you're being crushed under the weight of it. And you can't Mm -hmm. as much as cognitively, you like try and reason with yourself because I'm a very logical person, the emotions overload it. And like, it's almost like, (laughs) I don't know, I'm crazy, but I have like two, two pieces in my head. One being like, this is not necessary. You know, this is irrational, pull it together. And the other side being like, well, emotions aren't rational. You're allowed to have feelings. And right now you're, you're Mm -hmm. being crushed or you're being overwhelmed and you Mm -hmm. need to pull it back. And I have to like, especially, you know, our family history, um, that's shared between the two of us. It's definitely a thing that goes through your mind. You know, am I like, and I know, like you said, like crazy is not the right word, but 
because that was used with our family members as we were growing up, that's something that like you didn't want to be. And when you're, when I have these moments or I have these overloads of emotions that I can't process or manage, it ends up being like, am I, I, I start questioning myself, like, am I crazy? Is this something? And, and I don't want to say it doesn't help, but when other family members have stepped in and been like, well, you do seem overly anxious. Have you considered medicating? Have you considered looking into alternative oper- um, you know, ways of, or opportunities to manage this anxiety or stress? And it's, it's not mm-hmm. an easy conversation because when you hear no. that in your head, when you're here thinking about those things and you're talking about it in your head, that's one thing, but to have a loved one, even a trusted loved one come to you and say, have you considered potentially seeking help elsewhere? Because maybe what you're doing isn't helping is a hard mm-hmm. thing to hear. And it's a hard thing to acknowledge. It's, it's a hard thing to hear, but I also think that when you hear those things, I think you need to try to take the emotion out of it and understand where that person is coming from because um you can't have your cake and eat mm-hmm. it too right because you could have that family member that told you to just suck it up you're tough you can get through this you're fine you yeah absolutely I mean? or you could have that family member to tell you hey you know I, I do see that you do seem to struggle with anxiety maybe this is something that you should talk to your doctor about you know there are tons of medications out there or I mean, even if you are somebody like me, right, where I, I try to do all of the things, exhaust all of my options before medicating. And that's, again, a, a stigma that Kiana and I, I think, share that we grew up thinking that if you have to medicate to deal with whatever issue you may be mm-hmm. facing, that that wasn't necessarily a good right. thing. And that kind of stems to even when it comes down to like, if I have a headache and taking something like Tylenol or ibuprofen, I always try to tough it out, which I'm by no means is saying the right thing to do, but that's just how I've always approached things in my own life. I think it's important to give a little Um, bit of a history as to why maybe, or not why maybe, but the reasoning behind that and coming from a family that has had, you know, severe mental health issues. We've also had drug addicts in the family and it had, and it had been a, a thing that our parents had instilled in us that like, you don't take pills, you don't take medicine unless you're like absolutely necessary and you're dying. And even to this day, that's still, like you said, it's ingrained in you and I, it's just something like where I have a headache, my husband, Nick will be like, just take an ibuprofen. And I'm like, well, I have a headache for a reason. My body's trying to tell me why, like I can tough it out. I'll be fine. He's like, why? Like to him, he, it doesn't even make sense because mm-hmm. the thought of mm-hmm. someone taking ibuprofen is not a big deal, but it's more of the mm-hmm. thought of addiction and the thought of pharmaceuticals playing a role in our family mm-hmm. that it just, it ended up becoming such a thing that we, we needed to, our family had to stay away from it because of how bad it was in our family that it became right. this, this thing where we couldn't or even we, take an ibuprofen for a headache because that meant we might be a drug addict or, you know, we had that thought. We saw, we saw family members around us literally have their lives be destroyed because of addictions, whether that be alcohol, um, pills, or I mean, even, even cigarettes, I think a lot of our family members smoke Mm -hmm. cigarettes and say what you will about cigarettes, but nicotine is an extremely addictive substance and they're expensive and it's a, it's, it's a bad habit. And when you grow up, you know, like, I, I mean, I can remember growing up and being in the car and my parents, my mom smoking in the car Mm -hmm. with me and Mm -hmm. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. It was disgusting. And, you know, I just, I never wanted 
that to happen to me. I never wanted to be somebody who is so reliant on some type of Mm -hmm. substance. So I think that about sums up all of the stigmas that Kiana and I feel. And I hope that, you know, when you hear us talk about these things that you give us some grace too, and know that we are not judging anybody for how they choose to medicate or how they choose to seek help, but it is something that we both struggle with and something that we've lived through with family yeah, way that we and were something raised. that we've lived through with family members and us being able to right. and, and this is our personal experience again you know like Tyler had said we are not professionals we do not we're just giving you some grace on how we manage it ourselves and may, hopefully a different perspective may help you see things in a different light mhm so we had touched on a little bit you had said that you were going to talk about how you manage your personal mental health what are some things that you do to combat your struggles or your overloads? So this is an interesting question because I feel like I am an evolving Mm -hmm. person and the ways that I've coped with my mental health over the years have changed. And I do think that, so for me, I definitely think that I have like a short fuse. Um, Patience is not something that I've been gifted with. And I think that that's been something that I've struggled with for a really long time. So I can get, I can go as some people will say like zero to hundred really quick. And basically like, I'll be happy, smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden something very small, or maybe it's not something small to me. Right. It just sets me off and then boom, my day is ruined. I'm mad at everybody. And like, it's very hard for me to come back mm-hmm. from that. And I would say over the last five years in particular, that's something that I've really, really tried to work mm-hmm. on and not let other people's actions define my day or define my life. And that's really hard when I am who mm-hmm. I am. So basically I've learned in the last five years that there are things that I can do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis that really affect my mental health. And I know it sounds cliche and everybody says this, but exercise is up there mm-hmm. for me personally. Um, in 2016, I actually was taking an antidepressant. I think it was called Lexapro. And looking back on that experience, I really don't think that I needed that drug. Can I ask you what um, led you there? I was, like, what was there like a moment that you were like, okay, I need, okay. Yes. Yeah. So it was 2016. I was um, dating this guy and it was like my first kind of serious relationship. We had been dating for a few months and then all of a sudden, I, I don't know, things just kind of went downhill. I still don't even really know why we broke up, but he basically just broke it off and said like, he wasn't ready for this relationship. And that really, I don't know. I felt really hurt by it. My, I was getting really close to graduating. My dad was going through some personal stuff that was, I was taking mm-hmm. on that burden as my own. And I really shouldn't have, it wasn't my problem, but I made it my problem, which I have a tendency to do that. I make all the problems around me, my own problem, when really I could just be like, this has nothing to do with me. Why am I getting involved? But that's just Mm -hmm. who I am. So I had all of these things that I was struggling with and I just felt depressed. Like, well, and now that I'm thinking back to him, like, okay, maybe I did need it. I don't know. There were days. I remember the last, that last semester at college, I didn't want to get out of bed. I had no motivation to go to work. I had no motivation to go to class. I would literally stay up till like three or 4 a.m. watching Game of Thrones. 
And then I would not get up in the morning and maybe I wouldn't get up in the morning because I was up so late watching TV, but that's all I wanted to do was lay in bed, which is definitely a sign Mm -hmm. of depression. So I broke up with my boyfriend. College was coming to an end. I didn't really know what I was going to be doing afterwards. I didn't have any jobs lined up. Was I going to be going back to a graduate program? I wasn't really sure. So a close friend of mine at the time, she was taking an antidepressant and I don't want to say she like encouraged me to take one Mm -hmm. as well, but she helped me to understand that, Hey, you have a lot of stigmas and things that you need to unpack about how you feel towards medication and mental health, but it's not a bad thing. There are people who lots of people who take, you know, antidepressants or or what have you that are perfectly functioning members of society. And I think it could help you. So I went, I literally went to my primary care doctor's office. I said, I think I'm depressed. And she said, okay. And I, she asked me, you know, a few more questions and I said, I'd like to have an antidepressant. And so she literally just prescribed it to me, which I think there's a lot of issues with that Mm -hmm. too. I think that perhaps she maybe should have referred me to a therapist or a counselor first or psychiatrist. I think psychiatrists are who can actually prescribe drugs um, Mm -hmm. like that. And maybe a psychiatrist is better off than like your primary care doctor. I don't, I'm not really sure. So that was, that was in 2016. That same. You no. don't feel like the medication Honestly, made no. a difference at all. So what made you get out? Like what, what, what flipped the switch? What made you decide, okay, I'm not going to sit in bed and stay up late and I'm going to get up. Like, what was the, like, what, you know what I mean? I like, know. What, like, I know, what was the turning I know point? I ended up, I know I ended up graduating and I ended up moving to Manchester. I got a new roommate. I was still working a lot and I decided to continue my education and enroll in, in um, a graduate program. And I was still dealing with all of the issues that my dad was, was going on or had going on in his life at that point in time. But I didn't, I didn't, I was just taking the Lexapro and, and maybe it did make a difference. I'm not sure. But, um, the reason why I don't think it made a difference is because I had started going to the gym at this point. So at that point in my life, I started getting very involved with, um, powerlifting And that was like a huge boost for me. That made me feel great. I made so many friends at my new gym. And one day I just decided to stop taking the Lexapro, which is super, super not encouraged. Like that's a really bad idea. If you are taking an antidepressant, it's never a good idea to just stop taking it cold turkey. I didn't know that. So I just stopped taking it and I was fine. And I remember going back to my um, doctor for like my checkup and she said, so are you still taking the Lexapro? And I said, no. And she said, what? And I was like, yeah, I stopped taking that this past summer. So I only took the Lexapro, I think from like end of April till around July 1st. So a couple Mm -hmm. of months. Well, and I, and I do want to put a little disclaimer in there. Some, sometimes um, antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication can be long-term. However, the way it's been presented to me by my primary care physician is it's a tool that's used to help you manage your tough parts in life. And just like we had had that episode of seasons of life, some seasons are harder than others. And you kind of get Mm -hmm. to a point where, like you had said, you had a lot going on, your boyfriend, your dad, school, and, and there's nothing shameful about it. It's just sometimes seasons of your life get so heavy or so hard that you need it, you, you need to do something to alleviate the stressors because like stress will kill you. Like depression will kill you. All of these things are not good for you at all. And you, you need to make sure that you are doing all that you can to keep your mind and your body healthy. So I, I don't necessarily that I just wanted to put that little disclaimer in that it's not necessarily a long-term thing all the time. It can be potentially, but 
it, it also can mm-hmm. be a thing that you're, that's just a tool, just like anything else, like ibuprofen to get over a headache. It can be a tool used at a point in your life. I, I personally don't know much about that. Like I said, um, I do know that my doctor seemed like mad at me for, for not consulting. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't, just I don't recommend you doing it that way. Absolutely and, not. and um, you have to like wean off of you it know, because there is like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because basically when you take those drugs, it manipulates the levels of serotonin and other, you know, happy chemicals in mm-hmm. your brain. And so when you stop taking it, you can have drastic changes of those levels and that can cause you to get like, you know, um, I think suicidal is like the biggest mm-hmm. concern, but that didn't well, happen yeah, to me. You, I stopped. So, so here's my counter argument that though. You started working out and, and, and organically creating the dopamine and serotonin levels yourself. So you were saying that you started working for out sure, and you felt better. Sure. So you kind of almost mm-hmm. built that back up organically, you know, while having the medication, which is probably why it was so smooth for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and so basically from there on, that's kind of been my number one tool that I've used to make me feel better. So even on my darkest days or on my days where I don't feel like doing anything and I feel like, you know, absolute dog doo-doo, I tell myself, just get outside and just see the light of right. the day, at least go for a walk. Or if I, if I don't have time to exercise, getting outside and having a little bit of sunshine is so helpful for Mm -hmm. me. Absolutely. Me too. And that's one of the things that I do for my personal mental health. Um, I created myself like a little oasis outside, which I've, you know, referenced a few times in some of the other episodes, but at the end, usually the hard parts of the day for me are at the end of the day, like right after dinner, before bedtime, it's just, I'm exhausted. I'm spent. I'm tired. I don't want to (laughs) be, I'm tired of momming. I'm tired of people asking me for stuff. I just made dinner. I just cleaned up dinner and I just need a few minutes to like decompress. And oftentimes, you know, even when on the hot days, I'll go sit outside on the porch and I'll catch, you know, I'll watch the sun go down. And it's just, it's a safe place for me where I can go to really have some quiet time. And yeah, sometimes the kids come out on the porch and harass me and that's fine, but it's a place that I go to kind of reset my mental status and be like, okay, we're almost at the end of the day. It's good. We're, we're getting, you know, we'll, we'll get there only a couple more hours and kind of give myself mm-hmm. a break almost. Yeah, for sure. Because you need it. And even right now, I'm not supposed to tell you guys that Jeff is deployed, but if you follow me on social media, you obviously know that he's deployed. So whatever the cat's out of the bag right now, my husband is deployed and it's something that is definitely hard because I feel like I have a lot of these tasks that I'm dealing with all on mm-hmm. my own. And I feel like, you know, I don't get a break. I don't get a second to just step out, step outside or step away or go for a drive and just have some time to me. Like I'm either in work mode, mom mode or go mode. And it, it can feel really overwhelming mm-hmm. at some point. So for sure, for sure. I was telling Kiana yesterday morning, I, I hadn't talked to an adult other than like at daycare drop off and pick up in a few days. And she's like, well, what about Sam? You see her, don't you? And I said, yeah, I haven't seen her since Saturday. And you know, it's, it was only Wednesday when we had that conversation. So I think it had been four days since I'd seen my friend Sam, but that felt to me like a lifetime. Right. Cause um, you don't have any adults so, to talk to at home. So you're at home making dinner and stuff and you don't have real conversation. It's you and a one-year-old. It's, it's tough. It is. It's, it's definitely tough. And, um, you know, so one of the things that I've told myself that I'm going to start doing is building in a a day off at least once a Mm -hmm. month where Jeffrey will be in daycare 
I have the day off during the week on a scheduled work day to do whatever I want to do. And I really want to make that day not a day where I'm running to the grocery store, I'm running to do this, get an oil change, do all the things that I have to do to keep life going. I really want it to be a day for me to just, like you said, like go sit outside on my porch and read a book, Mm -hmm. go for a hike, go downtown and get myself an ice cream cone or something like that. That makes me happy and makes me feel recharged because if you don't have those days or those hours or that time to make yourself feel recharged, you can't go on E all Mm -hmm. the time. You know, it's interesting. So we're talking about how we like manage it and you have greatly influenced me on some of the ways that I now manage my personal and mental health. But I remember being in that season of life where it just felt like the idea of even having any me time, you know, even having Nick home because he works. So Nick's always been a, you know, a a really hard worker and he's worked like an average of 60 hours a week, if sometimes more our whole lives. So it's really kind of been single parent mode for me. And oftentimes by the time he comes home, he's so exhausted and spent and he worked weekends. Mm -hmm. So I totally understand, you know, I, I can, I can see where you're coming from and how difficult it really can be to find that time to dedicate. So you're doing a good job and you shouldn't feel guilty or, and I know you had said that like a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or two, you had taken a day off and Jeffrey was at daycare and you're like, I think I'm going to go to the beach with my friend, but I feel guilty. And I was like, don't feel guilty. Like mm-hmm. he's got to, you got to pay mm-hmm. for the day, whether you use it or not, like take this time for yourself. And you've inspired me to, to do the mental health and the fitness and, um, recent health issues that have come up, um, not mentally, but physically we've had, I've had some recent, um, diagnoses that we're looking into currently and being physically active and maintaining a healthy diet and lifestyle is so, so important for all aspects of life, yes. mental, physical, even just social well-being. And my mom, my mom, Tyler mm-hmm. and I talk every morning and this morning she had called me and she was on the phone and she'll sit sometimes in our car outside of work while we finish up our conversation. And she had read me something that she saw and she felt like she said, that's so true. And I said, what? And she said, I just read something on someone's Facebook page and it says, if you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. Read that again. And I can't emphasize that enough that it's a hundred percent accurate. And I've been guilty of allowing that those pressures to, you know, overwhelm me and crush me to the point where I I'm, can't even figure out a way out of it. Like you said, I can't get out of bed. I can't figure it out. And I've just, it's almost like the Zoloft cloud. It is, it's like so hard to get out of it, but if you're not taking those, you know, that one day a month, or if you're not taking that 20 minutes after dinner, if you're not making time for your wellness, you will be spending time on your illnesses. And I a hundred percent believe that that's accurate. Yeah. And I think going off of that too, of other things that I've seen people post and I a hundred percent agree with are if you invest in your wealth, I mean, sorry, not your wealth, your health, but your wealth mm-hmm. too, you know, your financial well-being a hundred percent plays into your mental health because if finances and money is something, one of the number one stressors in every single relationship, or just, I wouldn't even say a relationship, single people can be stressed about money too. So if you're constantly thinking about your money and, you know, you have to make every single cent go where it needs to go. That's, that's a lot for anybody. Well, I feel like if you were to break it down holistically, people have, it it breaks down to mental health or mental wellness, physical wellness, financial wellness, and emotional wellness, maybe. I don't know if mental and emotional are the same. Yeah, I think those are probably the biggest emotional. I think for a lot of people too, maybe spiritual mm-hmm. wellness, whether you're religious right, or emotional not, and do spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that can be something. And 
but they all tie into you, right? And you being a, your healthiest version of you. And there are hundred percent things out of our control that we can't control. And maybe for some of us, that's a physical diagnosis. You know, um, my husband was recently diagnosed with a chronic lifelong condition. That is something that he'll never be able to cure or have go away. And for him, like, you know, he was pretty upset, pretty bummed by that news because he was like, you know, what the heck? I'm a 29 year old guy. Like I feel healthy. I look healthy. I do all of these things that quote unquote should make me a healthy person. But now I get, you know, this news that I'm going to have this issue that, or this, this um, diagnosis that, you know, makes me more susceptible to developing certain types of cancers and things like that. And this is a really scary thing Mm -hmm. to deal with. So I feel like you have to control the things that you can control and just try to let be the things that you can't. And I, and that is easier said than done. I, I know from my own personal experience too, but you know, you can invest in your health and your wellness and your financial wellness now, mm-hmm. or you can pay for that later. And I think that ties into exactly what Kiana had said is, um, what did you say? Read it, was, it again. And, and I agree with you. I like it a hundred percent is all tied together. It's all pieces to a puzzle that cr- creates you and completes you. And if you're not following through with these things, you're going to pay for it somewhere. The quote is, if you don't make time for your wellness, you will be forced to make time for your illness. Read that again. Okay. Yes. So if you don't make time for your wellness, you're going to make time for your illness, which I agree with. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of people will say that being healthy or eating right or going to the gym or doing all these things, it's too expensive and I don't have the time for mm-hmm. it. Those are the number one excuses that you hear when somebody who's, you know, looking to get in shape or isn't in shape, they say, and it's true, right? Buying vegetables and produce and lean meats and things like that are hundred percent more expensive than the stuff that's processed. And, you know, you can buy inside the grocery store versus the perimeter. Right. But how much are you going to end up spending later on in life when you're suffering from all of these ailments, you know, that you may, and, and, and don't get me wrong, there is hundred percent some things that are maybe going to happen regardless. regardless of your diet and how you choose to treat your body now. But I do think that, you know, by choosing to put an emphasis and a priority on your health and your wellness now is going to help you in the right, future. Right, and it'll pay off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause you'll end up spending. And, I'm, and I mean that with everything, all of the things that Kiana just touched on that that's your finances, your mental health, your physical health, your emotional spiritual. health, spiritual health, make the time for it now because just do right. it. Cause, <laughs> cause if not, you'll be forced to, and, and it won't be in a, in a way that is now your choice. And I think, and, and you, and it's, it's key that you mentioned those things that people say, you know, I don't have the money or I don't have the time. And it's like, you're borrowing from today to pay for tomorrow. And it's like, it's like when they offer you a deal and it's like, oh, if you buy it now, you get it for $5 cheaper when you can't buy it or you can't buy it in bulk. And now you got to pay per price per item. You're going to be paying for it tenfold five to 10 years from now, if Mm -hmm. you don't, like you said, prioritize, but it's hard because when you're trying to manage those things, you have to pick a plate to drop and that's a part right. of being a person, being a parent, being anything there, there is always going to be, you cannot keep them all spinning. It just is what it is. No. So it's important for you to manage yourself. And sometimes you operating on your best ability means 90% of the plates are spinning, but that's because 
they're all helping each other spin. It's like a big piece. It's like Mm -hmm. a big, it's a big piece to the puzzle is that when your mental health is where it needs to be, because you've taken care of that things like your physical health and going to the gym becomes a priority and you're now able to do these Mm -hmm. things. And because you've taken Mm -hmm. care of your mental health and you're feeling, okay, I'll go to the gym because sometimes I'm like, even right now I'm in a rut and I haven't physically worked out since I got my, um, my diagnosis recently. And I've just been feeling like not myself. I've been trying to stay active, like going for walks and stuff, but it's not the same as I was doing two weeks ago. And it's definitely, it's a difficult hole to climb out of but it's, it's almost like if you let one plate fall, it's a domino effect and the rest of them are going to fall and you need to just, you know, you need to, you need to start making that decision today, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and uh, am I doing better than I did yesterday? And what can I do to make tomorrow even better? Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. So what are some of the things that you do to protect your family or your children's mental health? So you had touched on stressors and I feel like stressors are a big part, stressors and worry and, things like that can really affect your family and your children's mental health. And, um, the biggest thing that I did basically as soon as grace was born and even before grace. So something that I made a priority is to not allow toxic people, including family members to engage slash interact, or even have conversations with my children. And that meant cutting out some pretty key family members and, you know, my immediate family and people that were not good influences or did things like we had said, we had family members who had untreated mental illnesses, or we have family members who are undiagnosed, but had, had spiraled out of control. And I may, I had to make an adult decision at that point and, and say to myself, you know, like, it's not worth my child's mental health because, Mm-hmm. you want to be there. Like if you can't be there and you can't support them in, in a good and healthy manner, then you cannot be a part of their life. I'm sorry. I can't allow that to, to harm. You know, I can't allow that. To I wouldn't them. even don't, don't say you're no, sorry. I, I know <laughs> we just had this conversation. We, we did, we did have this morning. conversation yeah. about saying sorry when you should think say sorry, but I mean, I'm primarily speaking, you should be, I think you should be unapologetic about that too. And well, and that's a hard thing to say. I, though. I don't it's know. Hard, it, it is I hard to not to be much. unapologetic when you're cutting out like your father, for I know. example. So my dad, he lives far away and his priorities are, you know, they're not on us. Seeing us commu- communicating with us, being with us is not something that's really important to him. He, he hasn't made time for it. And it is what it is. But he would do things like he would call Grace when she was three years old and tell her, okay, pack your bags and get on a plane. You can come see me down in Florida. And I'm not kidding. When I tell you she would pack a bag and she would come to me at three and she's like, okay, grandpa said that I can go see him. And of course, because he was one of those family members who would come in at a whim and, you know, bring gifts and spend a magical day with her and give her all these hopes and dreams and let her do all the things that like she didn't do with us because he's only here part-time or whenever he feels like it, he would literally break this little girl. And she, you should have seen the look on her face when I had to explain to her like at three, I'm sorry, Grace, you can't, you, you can't get on a plane and fly to Florida. And like, just the fact that that, that was like the final straw for me, that was like, okay, th- these two cannot have communication. I can't even let them have phone calls because he's so damaging. And he didn't even understand it. He was like, well, what? She mm-hmm. could just get on a plane. And I'm like, first of all, she's three. Second of all, you're not equipped to take care of a three-year-old. <laughs> Third of all, I'm not just putting my baby on a plane for someone who's not making time for her and a daily on a daily basis, or even, you know, a weekly basis, never mind monthly, 
Um, so, mm-hmm. so that's something that I've done to protect my family is cut out toxic family members. And I am sorry because it is a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to walk away from your father or your mother or someone who is a part of your life and you love them dearly. But at the end of the day, you have to prioritize your children's mental health over their feelings. Yeah. How do you feel? Do you, I mean, I know you have kind of a similar situation, but how do you, what do you do to protect your child from, and your family from? So I didn't know how much I was going to divulge with my own personal <laughs> endeavors, but since Kiana shared about her dad, I guess I'll share about my mom. So for many years, my, my relationship with my mother has been extremely volatile. I would say since my early teen years, my mom and I have just not seen eye to eye on many things. And that led to a very toxic, manipulative relationship that I had with her, where there would be periods in our relationship where things would seem well and okay. And then out of nowhere, my mom would just send me this text going off the rails, talking about how awful of a daughter I was, how terrible I was, and how basically I've destroyed our family and those things would, and you can ask Kiana because she's been by my side for the last 12, 15 years while this stuff has been going on. And it's broke me to my core. It's seriously something. And not just one time it's been like consecutive, like over and over and and over. And that's the thing is and that's the thing that with what was happening with my mom is it's a very cyclical thing. So things would get out of control and she would break me and then she would come back in things. She'd, you know, make amends and then things would be seemingly well. And then out of nowhere, she would come in again and she would break me and then things would get better. And I would constantly continue to forgive her and to try to have a relationship with her not only to my detriment, but to those around me, it was something that, you know, was taking a toll. I wouldn't say it was taking a toll on my relationship with Jeff at the time, but Jeff saw the, the mental abuse that my mom was putting me through and he hated it. He just didn't understand how I could continue to have a relationship with somebody who continued to hurt me like that. And, you know, when it is your parent, it's something that it's not really explained. You can't really explain it. You know, you love this person so, so much, even you, even though you know that it's, it's hurting Mm -hmm. you. And this was something that I did for years and years and years. And then, you know, last year when my son was born, my mom had, she was a part of my life for the first few months of Jeffrey's life. Um, she was actually really helpful. She did drive down to come and see me a bunch of times. And I'm really grateful. I'm going to cry talking about this, but you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for those moments that I had with my mom, because I'd say out of my lifetime of having, you know, this really toxic relationship with my own mom, those few weeks felt really Mm -hmm. good. It felt really good to have my mom there to support me and to help me, you know, right after I had given Mm -hmm. birth. And then um, some stuff went down, which I won't talk about because I don't I'm not trying to air all of our laundry on this podcast, but some crazy stuff went down between my mom and another family member. And, you know, that was my breaking point. That was the point where I had to seriously sit there and ask myself, okay, this continues to mm-hmm. happen, you know, 
my mom is not going to change who she is. She has at this point pushed so many people in our family away from her who are trying to help. She has broken, not me, not just me, but pretty much everyone in our immediate family, um, you know, with manipulative lies and just terrible things that she's done and said, and it's really hurtful. It's really, really hurtful. And do I want my son to be exposed to this? Do I want my son to ever feel the way that my mom has made me feel or to, for him to see this relationship between me and my mom and to think it's okay, think that that's okay. Mm -hmm because I continue to allow her to be a part of our lives. And how could I not think it's okay if I still allow us to engage with this person? Mm -hmm. So I had to make a really, really hard decision to cease literally all communication with my mom. And it hurt. Am I sorry? No, I'm not. And that's where Kiana and I are, are different is I can say, I can be unapologetic about this because I know that it's the best thing for me. There are days where I sit here and I wonder, has she changed? Could she change? Could I have this relationship with her? And then I just have to just, the other person in my brain has to be like, shut that down, Mm -hmm. shut it down. No. And so in the past, I've tried to do this before where I stopped communicating with my mom, but I don't necessarily block her on all channels of communication. Mm -hmm. So somehow she ends up like communicating with me and then I'm a sucker and I'm like, okay, fine. But this time around, I, you know, blocked her on all of the social media accounts, her number, my stepdad's number. And, you know, even a few other family members have really cut off communications with me. And that hurts. You know, I don't really have a relationship with my own brothers and that hurts. And I think, you know, a lot of that is to blame because of the relationship that I have with my Mm -hmm. mom. But I know that what I've chose to do is what's best for me Mm -hmm. and it's what's best for my family. So exactly like what you've said, I think that, you know, it's okay to shut the door on toxic family members. You like people always say blood is thicker than water. Screw that. Like, no, you do not have to continue to stand by somebody just because they're your family. I don't believe that, you know, you can have friends who are just like your Mm -hmm. family they don't need to be blood. So that's all of that. I'm going to put myself on mute so I can blow my nose. Yeah. And I, I, I a hundred percent agree. And don't get me wrong. When I, when I say I'm sorry, it's not that I'm sorry that I'm doing it. So, um, some Tyler touched on her mom a little bit. I actually was like the black sheep of the family when I was even before grace, because I saw the manipulation. And even at like 14, I was like, absolutely no, I want no part of this. And I was called all sorts of slews of names to the point where I was, I was a child. I was like 14 and I was belittled and berated, um, in that family circle. And she would say things and no one would say anything back about it. And I I just, I kind of became desensitized to the idea that like, if an adult can do this to a child, like they're not one, they're not an adult and two, they're not worth your time. And I'm not apologetic about that, but what I am apologetic about is that I'm like, like you had said, I'm sorry to like that. That's a sad thing. I'm sorry for me as a daughter to lose that relationship with my dad. And I, I do have communication with my dad uh, minimally um, in controlled situations, but it's sad. It's sad. And, and, and I'm afraid that one day I may wake up and feel like I've missed out on something because him and I don't have that connection or that conversation, or we don't have that ability to 
just call my dad up and be like, Hey, I'm scared. I don't feel good. Or, Hey dad, like my house is, they're not draining properly. Can you come over and help me? Or, Hey, can you show me how to start this weed whacker? That's not, that's not the type of relationship I have. And that's what I'm sorry for. I'm sorry that, you know, my kids miss out on having a grandfather present in their life on my side. I'm sorry that my kids don't get to experience the good parts of my dad because not all of it is bad. And just like you had said, you know, you had good moments with your mom, not all of it is bad. And that's what I'm sorry about. I'm sorry about missing those moments. And I'm sorry about missing those parts of him, but I'm not sorry about making the decision to protect my family because first and foremost, that is the most important thing. I agree. And I don't agree. So I feel like it almost contradicts itself, right. For you to say, you're sorry about this, but you're not sorry about that. I I personally feel like you're either sorry or you're not sorry. Right. And I think while we can mourn that loss, right. Of those relationships that could be, there are people in your life that step in to fill those Mm -hmm. gaps. So your mom's husband, Bruce is an excellent, they call him Papa Papa. or grandpa, (laughs) Papa to -hmm. your kids, you know, and that's that, you know, and, and I, I don't feel like I have a mom, right. I, I pretty much, I feel like I've mourned my mom as if she has died. And that may sound like a terrible thing to say mm-hmm. out loud, but th- that's how I feel. But although I know that I don't have that relationship with my mom, I have women in my life who can step in and fill that mm-hmm. spot to some degree. And for the longest time, Kiana has actually filled that role for me. I remember um, the first, one of the first years you, your mom like kicked you out of the house. You came into my house and Tyler, Tyler's a year younger than me. And she was sad because like, it was Christmas and Christmas is like, you know, a thing we've always done like gifts. It's always been like a really happy time. I literally went out and b- bought her her own star stocking and filled it underneath on our, with the, my kids stocking. So that way she felt like another kid, like w- at the house, like being taken care of. Like I was her mom. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do remember that. And I actually, I was going through a box of stuff. Our basement flooded last week. So I had to do some tidying up in our basement and I was going through all of the stuff that I have. And I was like, okay, I need to consolidate. And I found these letters that Kiana had written to me when I, Kiana and Brandy, Brandy is Kiana's little sister. So she's also my cousin. You guys put together these letters, like, you know, open when you feel Mm -hmm. this way, open when you feel that. And one of the letters was open when you feel like you need a mom. And, um, you know, I was reading it and it just, it's crazy that you wrote that letter to me in 2016. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading that the other night, it felt so applicable to like what's going on mm-hmm. now. Well, it's not even going on now. You know, it's been a year that I haven't talked to mm-hmm. my mom. Actually, we're coming up on a year next month. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, like when Kiana wrote that letter, all of this stuff that was happening mm-hmm had been happening for mm-hmm. years and then like last year it was continuing to happen and now this year you know I'm a mom my son is a year old and it's been about a year now that I haven't talked to my own mom and uh yeah so I, I think I'll keep the, that letter forever for the rest of my life so when I feel like I need a mom I'm like okay let me just call up to Kiana <laughs> because it's hard it's really hard yeah it's it's hard when you don't have those those iconic people in your life to, to stand there and and be what they need to be. But like you had said, we are incredibly lucky and blessed to, to, to have each other and to have Brandy and to have people like my mom and to have other family members who are friends like Danielle, um, you know, or friends, moms, 
you know, like Mrs. Miller, when she took grace, when I had Jack, like, like having those types of people in your life that will love you and treat you like family is so important and strong. Mm -hmm. And when you surround yourself with those people, it makes the pain of not having the other ones in your life a lot easier to manage. I agree. All right, let's move on to our next question. So how do you deal with extended family mental health? So maybe that's people who aren't in your immediate family, but you know, how do you deal, for example, with your aunt, who is my mother? Well, that one I shut out a long time ago. And that's kind of how I, I manage it mostly is you have to accept, like you had said in the beginning, you have to accept what you have control over and there are things that you don't. So when someone comes to me and says, I need help, like, even if your mom called me up tomorrow and was like, I need help, I'd be there. A, a podcaster, could, a listener could call me up and be like, I need help. And I'd be there but I'm not going to be there until you're ready to do it for yourself. No one else can do the work for you. So at the end of the day, I stay an arm's length away from these people who can't, you know, who, who are not at a point in their life where they're ready to manage that and take on that and make a change for the better because it, it is, it's like you said, it's cyclical and it's up and downs of, I really need help. I'm doing really, really not so great. And then I'm doing so good. I don't need help and it's fine and everything's fine. And the way that I deal with it is I just, I, I put myself at an arm's length. I'm here. If you need me, you know, I, I'm, I'm there, but I, I'm not, I can't take on your stress. And that's kind of where, you know, when you had said your dad had a lot of mental health and you had taken that upon yourself, I kind of, that's where we differ a little bit is that, you know, am I going to help? Absolutely. But I can't allow your choices that you are making not to make your life better affect me because at the end of the day, that's not my choice. That's your choice. And that's something I have mm -hmm. no control over. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So for me personally, if I were to answer this question, how do I deal with exam extended family mental health? I guess I'm lucky in the sense that I don't live super close mm -hmm. to my family mm -hmm. or even my in-laws. I'm a little bit far away in and in, I'm not like right down the road or in right. town, which I think right. that when you live in town with like your family members, it's really easy for them to lean on you or to almost abuse you in a way not abuse, but take, take advantage, advantage right? So if you're right down the street or they're in town, they know they can text you and be like, Hey, I need $20 or, Hey, I need you to give me a ride here. Or, hey, I need mm -hmm. this. And you feel like, well, crap, I have to do this because how can I leave them? Absolutely. Hanging? And I think that's where Kiana and I differ is because I'm lucky. I don't want to say I'm lucky, but in the sense that the physical distance between me and my family members, it makes it very easy for me to say, no, I can't physically possibly be there mm -hmm. for them. So they don't even really ask me anymore. And then another difference between Kiana and I is uh, Kiana is hundred percent more selfless than I am. I am 100% more selfish, <laughs> which is good and bad. Yeah. When it comes there's to good and bad things. to everything, yep. you know, like, um, I, and like, you know, I I've always been somebody who has prioritized my own well-being over possibly somebody else's well-being. And I'm not saying that as like a bad right. thing. I'm well, honestly, for your mom to help, I, that's what you need to do because you can't. I, your I, a hundred percent. And I, I think that, you know, I have to take care of myself before I take care of those around me. It's the mask thing when you're mm -hmm. on an airplane, you know, the airplane's going down. You got to put your mask on before you put your kids mm -hmm. on. It's, it's just one of those things, but there are some people who don't believe that, you know, they're like, they're um, as Americans, we tend to like 
pour out of empty cups. We try so hard to take care of our children. We try so hard to take care of our parents to our own personal detriments. Mm-hmm. But there are cultures and there are places out there in the world where that's not true. When they don't have enough food to go around, they don't necessarily feed their kids first. They eat themselves first because they know that if they're starving, there's absolutely no way that they can go out and provide for their children, right? So to us, that seems crazy. And we're like, what, you know? And, and I think even we were raised, there were times where our parents probably struggled to put food on oh, the absolutely. table. We lived in ramen. We grew up broke. <sighs> we grew up broke. And a hundred percent, like our parents would make sure that we were fed first before they were fed. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that I do think that you do need to prioritize your own well-being before you can focus on those around you. So knowing that it's okay to say no and if this person or this family member gets mad at you and you say no, that's not a reflection on you. That's a reflection on them. And that's their problem, not yours. So don't make it. Well, and you know, someone, um, a family member of mine who asked not to be named had told me yesterday, um, it's okay to, um, to ask for help, but it's not okay to expect for help, expect help. So it's okay to ask and, but it's also okay to say no but it's okay. Like it's absolutely okay to ask for help and then have someone have a family member help you. But for you to just, like you had said, being just living close by, we did have family members who became dependent on me to do things like make their bed or give them rides places or, you know, go pick up stuff for them or, or bring them to appointments and stuff like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you had said, you have to take care of yourself first, but when you expect it and you don't appreciate it and, or ask for it, you just expect it. That's a whole nother level of, I don't like disrespect almost. It's like a disrespect on your time exactly, and on your time as a person. And it's almost like a disregard, like no matter what you have going on, it's not as important as what I have going on. And that's not good either. Like you can't expect people to just drop what they're doing to help you. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. I, I There's a happy medium between all of it for sure. So is there anything that you would do, you would like to do better in general to help your mental health? Is there anything that you're working on? I mean, like you're doing a really good job with your mom and kind of distancing yourself from toxic family members, but is there anything else you could work on? You know, honestly, one thing we didn't touch on that I think I was actually thinking about today. I'm like, I think I'm addicted to social media. <laughs> um, and, and it's not, no, funny. it's not at all. Nope. Like I, I literally cannot get through a show, a TV show that I'm watching without picking up my phone and looking at the same scroll that I just looked at five minutes ago, it's, it's bad. Like there's a show that I'm watching that I really like, I really like the show, but I can't get my nose out of my phone. And I don't know if it's because I pay for the cheaper version of Hulu and there's commercials. So every time a commercial you just pops feel, up, right. I pick up my phone, I pick up my phone and I look at Instagram and then like the ad is over and my show's back on, but I don't put my phone down. And even, you know, it can be really bad with work. I'll be working and whatever process I'm trying to do with work, it's slow. So I pick up my phone to try to eat up the time. And then before I know it, 10 minutes has gone by and I've gotten sucked into watching stupid TikTok videos. So, or it's not even just TikTok videos, right? It's seeing everything around you, what people are doing, what people are saying, what's going on in the news and the media. And even right now, like, you know, there's some really crazy stuff going on in the world. My husband is deployed. He's firsthand dealing with like all the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan. He's not in Afghanistan, but where he's at, they're bringing a lot of 
refugees to where he's at and he's seeing some crazy stuff and that's having a toll on Mm -hmm. me seeing all of this division in our country right for the last like year and a half or no probably more than that honestly since 2016 our country has been so so divided and everybody's at each other's throats and it doesn't matter whether you believe this or you believe that and you know what nobody people call it a privilege and i'm guilty of it too i'm guilty of it too but it's just it's overwhelming and that to me feels so overwhelming right now that I feel like I just need to put my phone down and not look at it not watch mm-hmm. the news I can't have these conversations because they're weighing so well and and that's me. what some people some and some of the um, influencers that I follow have literally turned off their news like and and they have acknowledged the fact that being able to do that being able to say what's happening in the world um, is harming my mental health. So I need to shut it out is, is a privilege. Absolutely. Cause there are people who are living it but is. at the end of the day, like you yes. said, you have to put your mask on before you can put the person beside you, you know, before you can fix your kid beside you who needs a mask too. And I a hundred percent agree with that. Like, I agree with the idea that like social media and having a, f- a computer at, in your hand and your back pocket all day long is so detrimental. And, um, I didn't mean to be rude. Something that I've have subconsciously actively been trying really hard to do is if I'm with someone physically, if I am having a conversation with them, I give, I try to give them my undivided attention. And if I'm not giving them undivided attention, I acknowledge that what I'm doing is not okay. And I need to cut it out. And I usually catch myself. I'm like, cut it out, get back to the person in front of you. And, um, as you were saying that I was looking up, cause I had sent that to, um, a friend of mine and my sister were in a group chat and it, it just talks about how, if you have people in front of you, if you are out to eat with your friends, if you are, you and I are on a zoom and one of us pulls up our phone and we're looking at our phone, we're not, we're acknowledging the fact that we're not giving you our full attention and you're not important enough for us to, for, to look away. And that's an addiction. That is an addiction, whether you want to call it one or not hundred percent. I agree that it's an addiction. So I have net, like started like doing like reading a book on a Kindle where it's not on my phone. I can set my phone aside and I'll go three or four days without like responding to text messages. And I feel like a jerk sometimes, but it's necessary. It's necessary to set your phone on silent and not let it harass you anymore. And I think I need to start doing that more. So towards the end of the day, like at five o'clock, just shut my phone down and be like, okay, I'm off just like work. Like I am off. I don't need to be on Facebook. I don't need to know what's going on in the world. I am here at home. I'm going to do something for my mental health or physical health by reading a book or going for a walk or something like that, instead of being scrolling TikTok. Oh my gosh, you could lose hours on TikTok and not even know where the time went. It's like, how did that pop happen? I don't even know, but I agree with you. That's important. Mm -hmm. That's important for your mental health as well. And sometimes putting your phone down or deleting social media off of your phone is important. I can't, couldn't, couldn't have said it better. I agree. So it feels like we are coming to our natural end. We'll go over our moments of grace. What is your moment of grace this week, Ty? know this is a moment of grace sometimes I feel like I lose sight of what the moment of grace is supposed to be but last week we had some crazy weather my basement Mm -hmm. flooded and I it was a a complete disaster but a friend of mine came over and she helped me pick everything up and get it tidied and clean shout out to Sam love you she's a winner she's a good and I wish she lived close I want to be her friend too Sam will you be my friend too I think she listens sometimes Sam, be my friend too (laughs) she's She's really great. But, um, I guess that was kind of a moment of grace. Thank you, you know, for Sam to take literally the day off of work and to help me get Absolutely. our basement dry. So we didn't have, that's her giving you grace. And Absolutely. Then, that's, that's a moment of grace. Yeah. And then, you know, I, as a personal thing, I decided 
my basement was a hot mess. Literally every time Kiana came over, she'd be like, oh, your basement is stressing me out. I start to out. like move one box at a time like, and she's like, leave it alone. And I'm like, but it's stressing me out. <laughs> so I gave myself some grace, I guess. And I got some shelving units. I put them was it in the budget? And now was it in the budget? Honestly, no, it was not put, in this you better put it in budget, the budget. But thankfully, you know, we can make some room in our budget. But um, yeah, so now nothing is on the floor. My basement is clean. And sometimes I just walk down there in the middle of the day and I'm like, and you know my basement is not finished it's like an ugly basement with like cobwebs and stuff like that but I've I've gone around and I've sucked up all the cobwebs like Kiana likes her nice fancy porch I just want to go sit in my basement no I'm just kidding (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) I'm really proud I'm really it looks so good and you got a bunch of I love the shelves I'm a little envious I need to get shelves for my basement too it looks good it looks really good well, my moment of grace is that I pushed back some appointments. Um, yesterday, we had I had a few appointments again, like I had said about mental health, or not mental health, my physical health and my recent diagnosis. Um, I had appointments yesterday and it was beautiful yesterday and it's beautiful today. And I, unapolog- the kids start school, Jack starts school next Monday. And I unapologetically called that doctor's office and was like, we are not going to make it. We are not going to make it to this appointment. And then today I called today's appointments and I pushed all of today's appointments back as well being because it's going to be 93 degrees. So yesterday I went to the beach with the kids and I am not sorry that I have to reschedule and I'll find another day to do it. But I enjoyed yesterday and today I'm going to bring them to a local town beach and I'm going to enjoy that too. That's awesome. Absolutely. Bye guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye.